The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Welcome back to another volume of Truly Disturbing Tales from Reddit. Today we're going to be narrating three new and settling stories taken directly from the platform. I encourage you all to sit back, grab a snack, and enjoy these terrifying personal accounts. Now, without any further delay, let's jump right in. On June 3rd, 2016, there was a social media event that I attended. I was an Instagram influencer at the time, and the event was a golf tournament. I posted on social to ask followers to come, so when he showed up, it didn't surprise me. Sure, the tickets were 250 bucks a pop, but for some reason, that didn't click with me. It was a drinking event as well, and he showed up at least tipsy, but having a good time. He was also an Instagram model, who I knew insofar as our profiles followed each other. He asked me out on a date after the tournament. I was a single mom, and because of the event, my parents were watching the kid until the next day. So I said sure. We went off on the date, went to a bar, grabbed some food. The guy was handsome, and mostly charming as heck. We had a beer, and then in his car he offered me some weed. I rarely smoke but I decided what the heck. We hotboxed his ride, then went off to another bar. He was friendly with everyone and made me laugh quite a few times. Then off to the liquor store for more alcohol and finally to his house. I was drunk and high, so it was easy to sleep with me. He had a bunk bed and I remember him being on top, a very selfish lover, aggressive, and me being borderline scared. It was that inkling of fear that kept me from stopping him. He had driven, and my car was still at the golf tournament location, and I was too far away for me to afford an Uber to get back to my car. So the next morning, I went to the restroom, and afterwards I noticed a long pipe coming from the toilet after I had flushed. Once I finished in the bathroom, I asked him what the pipe was for, because I was generally confused and genuinely interested in what it was doing. That's when he became upset told me that it was to water the weed that he and his roommate were growing. I didn't know, or maybe I was still just a little out of it from the night before, so much so that it didn't click. I apologize for asking, but I was a little put off by the fact that that response really wasn't warranted from the single question I asked. We went downstairs, and this is the first time that I had a chance to look at the walls and the decor of the house. Knives and weapons were used as decorations all over. I understand that people have different tastes, but this fact was a little unsettling for me as well. I waited for him to have breakfast and drive me back to my car, trying not to outwardly show any panic. In the car ride back, 
I knew that I needed an excuse that wouldn't hurt his feelings. I told him I had a blast, and I'm so bummed because I really liked him. But my child's father passed away when he was one, which was true. And I can't have CPS take him away from me because I'm around someone growing weed. I told him that I personally didn't care about the weed, but also didn't want him to change. So unfortunately, this was where our story ended. I let him make out with me one last time as he dropped me off, although I was shaking as I drove off myself because of the general disconcerting vibes. The very next day, after he dropped me off, he met a girl that was 10 years our junior at a bar, pretty much an 18-year-old mini-me. He dated her for three weeks, she dumped him, and he stalked her like crazy. So much so that he was arrested a few times for his efforts. In September of that same year, he gets out of jail the last time and heads to a bar. He meets a girl there, takes her home. He ends up murdering her, chopping her body up, cutting her heart out, and ultimately setting it on fire. While no one's sure of the details of what led to this encounter, he was soon scooped up by the authorities, and the little information that we have trickled out to the media, and our nightly news had a field day with it. Currently, he's serving life for his crimes. I still get flashbacks of our encounter, and while sometimes I'm forced to relive the details of this occasion, I'm glad that I paid attention to all the red flags and knew when to leave well enough alone. I thoroughly believe that that's why I'm still here to tell this story in the first place. This happened more than a few years ago, but sometimes I still think about her. I, a 20-year-old female at the time, was earning my wage through college by performing in cabaret shows in semi-big cities. My parents helped out from time to time, but it wasn't enough to buy groceries and pay bills. Also, I don't really have a filter in what I tell people, just in case you're wondering why I told the woman anything at all. I was on a bus on my way to the train station to then take the train a few towns over for one such cabaret show. I was listening to music on my phone and had my earplugs in. When the bus stopped at my station, there was a middle-aged woman, I'd say maybe in her mid-fifties, immediately at the door outside to get in, and I felt her looking directly at me. It's okay. It happens. I have a clothing style that's unique enough to earn me looks from time to time. When the bus door opened, I got out, and the woman turned with me, tapping my shoulder. Let's call this woman Leslie, since she told me her name, but I forgot everything except that it started with an L. The following conversation isn't word for word, but it is paraphrased to the best of my abilities. Leslie. Excuse me. Me? Yeah? As I take my earplugs out. Leslie. I just wanted to say, you have such a unique style, and it really stands out. I love it. You look like you're really creative. She was seemingly really genuine with this, and I was pretty happy about the compliment. I didn't really think about the fact that Leslie was about to get onto the bus, but then didn't, as she was talking to me now. Me. Oh, that's so sweet. Thank you. And yeah, I earned my wage doing mm, this form of cabaret, so you're kind of right. It's unique. Leslie. Oh, that's so interesting. I gotta keep an eye out for the posters here in town then. Me. Yeah, I'm on stage here quite often. 
in a few months, I'll be at Club X. But tonight, I'm a few towns over at Club Y. Leslie. Oh, sounds like you're about to have a great evening then. Me. Yeah, I am. The people there are wonderful. Leslie. Then I'm coming with you. Now, hold on. Wasn't she just on the way somewhere? This was also when I realized that she didn't get onto the bus that I got off of, and that this bus had already driven off at this point. Me. Um, weren't you on your way somewhere? Leslie. Yeah, I was. To my friend's birthday. But I'll cancel. This sounds way more fun. Now, hold on once again. She had some place to be, and just randomly decided to cancel her plans and come with me. Onto the train, with a person less than half her age, driving three towns over, where, by the way, there was no way for her to come home afterwards. I had a place to sleep there for the night, but she wouldn't. Me. You won't be able to get back home afterwards. There's no train that late at night, and I'm only staying out there because I have a friend that lives there. Leslie's silent. She looked as if she started thinking, and I thought that she changed her mind for a split second. But then she smiled. Leslie. It's fine. I, um, I have a son living there. I don't remember exactly what she said there anymore, but I know that it was something to that effect, and that I immediately thought she was lying. At this point, I was beyond weirded out, but still not quite freaking. I started walking off, since I had to get to the subway still. Leslie took this as a sign of me agreeing, and came right along. I remember her talking the whole way to the subway, and that she was walking pretty slowly. I didn't have to rush to the station. I was pretty early, in fact, wanting to grab dinner on the way, which I mentally wrote off at this point. But the way she held me back was by linking arms with me and holding on tight. Now I'm freaking out, but trying my hardest to remain calm. Whenever I was asked a question about myself, I was lying now. In my head, I was making plans to say I wanted to grab lunch, sitting her down at McDonald's, and making a break for it. But Leslie beat me to an opportunity to bail. Sitting at the subway station, there was a pretty well-known homeless person of our town. We had never talked, but I knew his face, and he had always been polite to me. Leslie, apparently, did know him, and got distracted immediately, letting go of my arm. Leslie. Oh, hey, John. How are you? You doing good? John. Um, hi. I'm doing my best, but... Stuff is pretty shit at the moment. Leslie. Oh, you always say that. It's like I always tell you. You gotta... I didn't stay around to hear the conversation, and I began jogging off, then running, attempting to make my break for it. I didn't want to stop for dinner anymore. I was afraid that Leslie would find me again, so I immediately ran inside the train. It would be driving off in 15 minutes, which freaked me out even more since she would still have plenty of time to get inside and potentially find me again. So I did what I thought was best and hid in the train toilet until it pulled off. Then, and only then, I got out and found a seat. I had to change trains once and felt watched the entire time. But Leslie, she was gone. She didn't appear in the next town or at the cabaret show. I told the story to a colleague and called my best friend who helped to calm me down. I never saw that Leslie again, 
and today I think she might have just been lonely or confused, but at that time, I just knew that I didn't care to find out. Leslie, if you are out there, I hope that you're doing well and you have plenty of friends and a warm roof over your head. But I must say, I certainly hope we never meet again. I want to share with you the story of why I'll never be able to look at my first tattoo the same way ever again. When I was 16 years old, my best friend and I made the dumb decision to get matching tattoos from an older man who was doing tattoos illegally out of his home. He was well known in the area within our age group for giving cheap tattoos to minors. He had recently gotten out of prison for giving minors tattoos and not practicing under state guidelines. Needless to say, I don't know what the f we were thinking. But hey, when you're a rebellious 16-year-old, dumb as hell, and have the chance to get a tattoo for $20, I guess any and all common sense flies right out the window. So we set up a time with him to go over to get our tats. I don't remember the exact time we went there, but I remember it was already dark, so it must have been late in the evening. It was just the three of us alone in his house. I remember feeling very eerie being there. Something about him and the energy of the place felt just off. But being the dumb teen I was, I chose to ignore those feelings and just go through with it anyway. We were there for about half an hour, got our tattoos, and then left. Fast forward a few months later, I see the man's picture and his name on the news. At first I thought he got busted again for his illegal tattooing business. Little did I know, that it was so much worse than that. He had been arrested for one of the most heinous crimes that I'd ever heard of and that I believed that anyone could commit. Turns out, he bought an old police car, a cop costume, handcuffs, and he would go into the rougher parts of Portland that sex workers frequented, impersonating a cop to arrest them. He brought them back to his house and chained up the victims in his garage where he knew that they wouldn't be heard. There, he repeatedly and viciously assaulted and tortured them. I was absolutely sick to my stomach when I found this out. I cannot imagine what these women went through, and I still don't really know or want to know all the details. This was all happening around the same time we were at his house, so the chances that one of the victims were there is an absolute possibility. I thank God that nothing happened to us, but there's also a part of me that feels extreme guilt. What if someone was screaming for help while we were there, and we just couldn't hear them? I'm forced to wonder why he didn't kidnap us. We would have been the perfect targets. Every time I look at the tattoo, it's a horrible reminder of what could have been, so I'm planning on getting it covered up. Thankfully, all of his victims are alive, and I hope and pray that they're able to recover from this horrible act. He'll be in prison for a long time without the possibility of parole. Always trust your gut. Try not to put yourself in sketchy situations. And when you're a 16 year old that wants a tattoo, it might be worth waiting. Stay safe, my friends. <laughs>